Hello and welcome to episode number 71 of the Random Thoughts Podcast. That's R-A-N-D-U-M-B-Thoughts.com online. I am your host, Darren O'Neill, and on today's show, we're going to be talking about the impending Vinyl Geddon. I mean, we talked in one of the previous episodes about how much I liked the analog storage medium for music. You can hear a lot more by going back to episode 41 of Random Thoughts on Vinyl as a good primer for the format. But the problem that the music industry is facing right now is a fire that happened last week on February 7th in Banning, California, which burned to the ground Apollo Masters Corporation. It's a company that you probably have never heard of. Even if you're a vinyl head, you probably weren't aware of Apollo Masters Corporation, but they provide a very important piece of the puzzle when it comes to making new vinyl records. To make a vinyl record, there are a few steps that are involved. One, you need your recorded audio, music, spoken word, whatever you're doing, whatever you want pressed into vinyl. You have to get that down. That's obvious. Then you go through a process which is called lacquering, which requires a blank that is made out of polished aluminum and covered in acetate. Then they go the old school way. This goes down on a turntable and a device with a heated ruby at the end of it actually goes through and manually cuts out a record into this acetate and aluminum. That is then the original. It is what the finished record will be at the end of the process, but it's just very fragile at this point. It could be put onto a turntable and played, but you get like two or three plays out of one of these lacquers before you really have massive degradation. So this is just a first step. Once it's cut into the lacquer, it has to be sent off to be plated because the plating then takes what you have there in the very fragile lacquer and gives it much more lasting power. It's a process called electroforming. They basically take a nitrate to the lacquer. It attracts the metal, usually nickel, and it fills in the grooves of the record. So it's creating that perfect negative copy of what you had used on the lathe to cut that original lacquer. This copy, of course, is Grooves, and it's called the Metal Master, or this is called the Father at this point, because it is also malleable and not strong enough to actually use to make the pressed albums that you and I are familiar with. The Father then has to be used to create another negative copy called the Mother. The Mother is typically made out of copper, which means it will be way more resilient than the Father. It'll have grooves instead of ridges, which means you could actually play it on a turntable. But this is then what is used to make another copy, which is then called the stamper. And the stamper will be the plate that will actually make the vinyl records that you and I can go into the store and buy. While every part of this process is vitally important, and each part of the process can add imperfections and can add noise that you don't want onto your final record the most important part of this whole system seems to be that original lacquer that original time 
you go and you cut the musical information into that first blank lacquer disc. Well, it turns out this company that burned down Apollo is one of two companies in the world that produces those blank lacquer discs that everybody uses as the first step in making vinyl. Well, almost everybody uses. There's a direct-to-metal mastering, but it's really not something that's used for all intents and purposes. These guys were making, according to a few different articles that I had read, about 80% of the lacquers used in vinyl production worldwide. There's only one other company that's making lacquers. They're over in Japan, and they were only doing about 20% of the world's lacquers when this happened. So this is a huge problem for the vinyl industry. To give you a little idea of just how much vinyl is being pressed these days, Billboard magazine reported that in 2019, out of all physical albums being sold in the United States, 26% of those were vinyl records, the others being CDs or cassette tapes, which are also coming back, which is kind of a weird concept too. But this concept kind of reminded me of the cassette tapes, because when it comes to making vinyl, as we've just learned, those original acetates, those original lacquers needed to start the process out, to me, very similar to the fact that now all those blank tapes that you could have bought for pennies years ago when everybody stopped using cassettes, they're selling on eBay for a few bucks a piece now because they're in demand. It's the same kind of a concept here. There's only two people making these, and all of a sudden one of them goes away. So now the demand on these blank lacquers is going to be huge until somebody figures out a solution to this problem. And there's been talk that maybe people would get together and purchase the intellectual property from Apollo in order to get another plant up and running. It's really very unclear at this point how this is going to work itself out. We do know that there's an existing supply of these things out there, but it wasn't like there was a huge uh, stockpile anywhere because the company over in Japan has already been falling behind before this fire. So it's going to be, if you're looking for a new vinyl release in the near future, if you're somebody that wants to put out an album, this is probably going to affect you. There's talk that this could really hit some of these small record pressing plants and make them either shut down for a little while or at least have them scale back what they're doing. I mean, they can still press albums that have been pressed before. That's what this whole process is about with the lacquers. There is a process that can go one step less with the lacquers rather than going from the lacquer to the mother to the father to the stamper. And in that case, is what's used for anything that's not going to be a large run. So, I mean, if I was going to buy something of you know, myself, well, you know, I wouldn't need tens of thousands of copies. That process would be fine. But this four step process, that original lacquer will allow enough mothers to be made and enough fathers to be made to where it will give you about a hundred thousand pressed pieces of vinyl. So, this isn't going to affect a lot of things that have already been 
put into production, but it's definitely going to hurt any new vinyl being pressed. But I do recommend going back to check out that previous episode we did on vinyl if you're interested in this stuff. Reasons why people will pay massive amounts of money for a low number of one of these things that were produced earlier in the run from way back when, because a lot of these things, they're only supposed to get about a thousand for quality control out of every stamper. Back in the day, that was going up to about 10,000 per stamper. And you would hear a pretty decent difference between one of those first things off that first vinyl off the press, as you would hear from the 10,000th piece of vinyl off the same press. When I had done that last episode, I had just received my new turntable, which is the Project Debut Carbon Esprit SB. They run about 600 bucks on Amazon, and I went through that whole process looking at everything from a couple hundred bucks up to about a thousand bucks, and you can go crazy in vinyl. We did a whole episode on premium things where we even featured a turntable on the cover of the album art. Turntables can run more than cars, so there is a little bit of insanity in those of us who like vinyl. I wasn't going to go quite that far, but I wanted something that was going to give me the best possible sound without breaking the bank. And this turntable seemed to check all of the boxes, and I certainly cannot complain about anything about this device since I've gotten it. And I have a new cartridge to try on it as well. So we'll see. That's a little bit of an upgrade. We'll see if we can hear the difference with that. A lot of this comes down to how good your ears are. New ears, old ears. When it came to the MP3 format being debuted, there were a lot of people who were swearing they couldn't hear the difference between an MP3 and a CD track. I I could. When you get into the higher res stuff, it gets a little bit harder. Some people swear they can hear the difference between a FLAC file and a WAV file, even though they are exactly the same. And of course, you'll have some people that just claim they can hear a difference because their mind tells them there should be a difference. If you're playing an album on a $100 turntable compared to a $600 turntable, yeah, you're probably going to hear that difference. Now, between a $600 turntable and a $6,000 turntable, you might have a whole lot less of a difference here sure maybe there's differences but sonically these things get smaller and smaller and less prevalent as you go up that chain so we'll be following this story on what's happening with the vinyl industry moving forward because i think this should be interesting as somebody who's been buying a lot of vinyl but the nice thing is there's a lot of old vinyl out there you can find it you can clean it up you can make it sound better And there's a lot of ways to do that. And that, again, if you want to get into a lot of arguments, argue with some people that the way they clean their record albums is not the best way to do it. There's people that swear by every which method. Just do a YouTube search. It's amazing. There's ultrasonic cleaners out there that you can run the records through. There are people that will clean them in their kitchen sink, which I have done because it doesn't hurt them. If you know what you're doing having a little nozzle at the end of a hose to spray the records really can do a good job. And I finally got for Christmas something that I'd been wanting for a while, but it always seemed like an extravagance. And it kind of is, except if you live in some place like I do in Chirac, where 
the humidity in the air can get down pretty low when it comes to the winter time. Static electricity builds up. Static electricity and vinyl, they love each other. And playing a record that is charged up with that static electricity, you're going to be hearing clicks and pops and all that other kind of bad stuff. So, one of the things I put on my Christmas list, which I got, yay, is a Milti Zero Stat 3. It's a little blue thing that kind of looks like a gun that floods whatever you pointed at with first negative ions and then positive ions, or maybe it's positive and then negative. But the end result is after you point this little thing and pull the trigger very slowly and release very slowly, the static electricity disappears. I don't know. It's, it's science. I get it. And it works really, really well. The easiest way to figure this one out is vinyl records will grab anything near them when they are charged up. So you can take a little piece of plastic, you can take some confetti, you can take a piece of tissue and you put it near the album and it'll stick. After the Milti does its thing, nothing will stick to the album via static electricity. And it works really well and it really does help keep those pops and clicks and everything else away when listening to your music. Because really, you want to just hear the music. I get there's some people that add those little sounds to digital tracks and current tracks that want to make it sound old timey. That gets old really quick when you're actually listening to music. You don't want all the clicks and pops. And the Milty Gun really did a great job in taking care of that. So even though these little things are run about 100 bucks or so, 75 to 100, somewhere in there, if you're in an area where you have a problem with humidity, it definitely helps. So you add that to the new turntable and getting a bunch of new vinyl also over the holidays. It's still interesting to me watching this whole process happen, watching the mechanical device spin, watching as the stylus and the needle go down into the groove and realizing that just right there in a groove, that's all. There's nothing magical about it. It is a physical thing that is being turned back into audio. And the fact that this is still the best way to reproduce audio is amazing to me. I mean, yeah, digital has its advantages. You could fit a billion albums onto a hard drive. I mean, okay, maybe that's exaggerating a little bit, but you can fit a lot of music into a small space. And I get it. That's cool. And I enjoy listening to music on my PC all day long or off a phone, listening to things like podcasts. I understand that's all digital, but Vinyl just takes it to a whole new level. It makes you kind of take a little bit more notice of what you're doing from the album art to taking the vinyl out of the package, hitting it with a little jolt there of the Milti Zero stat or having a brush go around it, you know, maybe dust it off a little bit, microfiber cloth or all these other different things that you can use. And it's a regiment of things that you do in order to enjoy the music which i mean some people will say just makes it more of a pain in the behind i say it makes it more engaging your mileage may vary but then it makes you kind of sit there and enjoy the music a little bit more and you only have 20 to 25 minutes or so on average before you have to go up and flip the album over so you're a little bit more engaged or otherwise, you know, on your PC, you put the music on, you can listen to it for 30 hours in a row and you really don't pay attention to it. So vinyl makes you pay attention to things a little bit more. And I definitely dig that part of it. 
As a podcaster, I know how hard it can be to get somebody's attention. And as a segue, I also wanted to talk a little bit today about Rush Limbaugh. He has been in the news now because of his cancer diagnosis, and lung cancer is never a good thing. It's usually something that once you find out you have it, your life expectancy isn't looking very good at that point. But we're wishing Rush well, and there's no doubt about it. Part of what we're doing here on the Random Thoughts podcast and on the other podcasts that I have done and continue to do comes a little bit from Rush Limbaugh. He was a trailblazer when it comes to talk radio, and he's a guy that basically created this format where one person sits in front of a microphone and talks to an audience, and that is the whole show. You don't need calls. You don't need guests. Rush does those things very sparingly. A majority of the show is just him speaking to the listener. And if you've ever listened to any podcast, that's very much like what a lot of these podcasts are. And Rush is the guy that helped create the format. And he's a guy that has been taken out of context probably more than anybody else in the media. As our buddies on the No Agenda show mentioned in the other day after the news of Rush's lung cancer came out and his appearance at the State of the Union, almost everybody that throws insults and says Rush is a racist or whatever has never listened to his show, which is a problem that we have in the world right now. People just listen to what somebody else says. Oh, they disagree with me. I'll call them a homophobe. I'll call them a racist. And everybody will just then repeat, well, yeah, he's obviously a racist. And I've talked about that in the past, too. That's my pet peeve when somebody says something like, well, Rush Limbaugh lies about everything. I go, well, okay, well, give me one concrete example to prove your point. I've yet to come across anybody that tells me XYZ, whoever it is, lies about everything. Never met one person that had a concrete lie that they could point to, or even a lie that they said, we'll go look up. No, this is the way the system works now. People are nothing more than sheeple, and they will just believe what they heard from somebody else, and they don't really want to go and listen because it takes time. I mean, Rush does a long show. I think he's doing three hours a day for how many years? Like 30 years on the radio landscape. There's a lot of Rush talking out there, so there would be a lot of proof one way or the other, yet I never hear the audio clips to prove that Rush said any hateful or vile things, because that's really just not his style. But he is a guy who's really good at debating, and I can definitely appreciate that. He's a guy who likes to bloviate, as uh, Bill O'Reilly, I think, used that word more than anybody else. He likes to talk, and I get that. I like to talk. That's why I'm doing at least two podcasts, maybe more at any given time. But I find it to be fun, and I find the Rush Limbaugh concept, this Solamento, as my buddy Larry over at That Larry Show would call it, to be both the hardest but probably the most rewarding way to go when you're putting a show out there. And a lot of that is because Rush Limbaugh helped trailblaze this for everybody, and doing it in politics is even a little bit tougher. He has a thick skin, it seems, 
and that's good. And I wish Rush well and hope he's around for many more years to keep preaching the word of the conservative values that seems to be falling out of favor at this point, at least amongst the very woke crowd. So we wish you well, Rush. And I hope you like what you're hearing here on the Random Thoughts podcast. If you do, do me a favor. Go over to randomthoughts.com and click one of those subscribe buttons. You can get it on Apple, Android, via email, however you want to get the show. We'll get it to you that way. RSS feed, we've got it. That way you won't miss a single episode. And if you're really digging what we're doing here, go to that same address and click on the donate button. We work on the value for value model that we learned from our buddies at the No Agenda show, Adam Curry and John C. Dvorak. If you're not listening to No Agenda, you're missing out. Noagendashow.com. But we do this show. We're not behind a paywall like some people are. I mean, my buddy Steve Dahl, I mean, I dig his show, but. It's all behind a paywall and that gets, it's hard to get people into your shows when everything's behind a paywall. And, uh, you know, I kind of prefer going along this route, which is, Hey, you're doing the show anyway, let it get out there. Let it get into people's brains. Let them start enjoying the show. And eventually I believe that people do the right thing. If they're getting value out of the show that they're going to give a little bit of value back. And that's how the whole system works. We don't have things behind paywalls. We don't ask for anything up front. But if, hey, if you think you got something out of the show, send us a little something. It's appreciated for everybody that has donated in the past. We appreciate it. And any little bit helps to keep the lights on, keep the microphone sounding good, the audio gear warmed up and ready at any time, day or night, when a new random thought hits my mind if you want to reach out to us you can do so in a few different ways via email at random thoughts podcast r-a-n-d-u-m-b thoughts podcast at gmail.com on twitter at random podcast r-a-n-d-u-m-b podcast or my personal twitter at darren o'neill d-a-r-r-e-n-o-n-e-i-l-l and of course we recommend you go over to noagendasocial.com get an account there. It's basically Twitter without all the crazy people. And if you need an invite, go over to randomthoughts.com. You will find one there along with all of the previous episodes we've done. Check them out if you haven't. So until next time, I am Darren O'Neill. Thanks for listening.